We are in our Holy Following Christ series, uh, month number six. Whoa, (laughs) half a year. And with that series, we've been looking at the life of Christ lived in these six different facets. So we've looked at the Spirit-empowered life. We've looked at the Word-anchored life. We've looked at the consecrated life. We've looked at the compassionate life. We've looked at the prayer-filled life. And now for this last month, as we sit in our Advent waiting. Wasn't that just beautiful tonight? Thank you, Javita. Thank you, Susanna, for pulling us into this space together. Um, As we sit in Advent, as we sit in the waiting for Christ, we're sitting in this moment of incarnation, the incarnational life. That's what Christmas is all about. Um, I was sitting with my son this week and we pray before bed. And... um, I said, let's, let's say our prayers. And so he said, okay. And so I said, you start. He goes, dear Santa. I'm like, no, 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 bad theology. Um, let's start this again, Jimmy. Dear Lord, thank you for Santa. <laughs> we kind of walked him in a different trajectory here. But it's like, we're so, we're so aware, aren't we, that like the Christmas narrative is this kind of Santa has shown up into our malls, uh, the trees are going up. The decorations are coming up. Buble is coming on. Yeah, woo. For some of us, some of us is like, ah, oh, again. But we've got to remember, what is the real reason for this moment? And the church season draws us, beckons us and says, oh, come to Christ. Come and wait and bring your expectation to the arrival of God, God arriving as Christ. And so tonight, we're going to start our four weeks of looking at the incarnational life. So I want to invite you to stand, it too. And I'm going to read Scripture tonight from John chapter 14. Feel free to join me there. Open your Bibles and uh, join with me. We're going to read two pieces out of John 14. I would have loved to have read the whole thing, but we're just going to read two pieces, two important pieces. Uh, We're going to read verses 6 to 11, and then we're going to read verses 15 to 20. So I'll just give you a moment. I can hear some Bible pages turning. John 14, verse 6. This is the Word of God for us tonight. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I want to take us down to verse 15 now, just for another little section. Verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another 
advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. The advocate is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognise Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will, will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. This is the Word of God for us tonight. Together? Grab a seat. We've just read John 14, which is where John records the sixth of seven I am statements that Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this beautiful interaction of the Father at work in Him. Now, there's a big difference between someone saying that they are something and then someone actually being that something. And Jesus here is saying something absolutely incredible. He's saying, you can look at me and you can look at my life that I have lived and you're seeing the Father. Why? Why is that the case? Well, because Jesus, Jesus has embodied God. And then in the second part of the reading, we see that Jesus doesn't just leave it there. It doesn't just stop at Him. He promises that His Spirit, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and is going to fill us that we may be the people of God embodiment too. Imagine that. Our bodies filled with God. Not just in saying, but in literal being. Jesus is stating here that He is the incarnate God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me and I am in Him. There's this beautiful interaction of incarnation. But then He goes on preposterously and says, and it will be the same with you too. You will be incarnate people. And that is what we're going to explore for these next couple of weeks together as we journey towards Christmas and Advent. The incarnate life, the life of incarnation. Now, we've used this scripture quite a few times over the last couple of years, but I want to anchor us back in it tonight because I actually feel like this word, this, this little passage here in 1 Corinthians 6.19 6, is a very important anchor for us to keep tethering to as a community in our cultural moment. Paul says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body, your flesh and bone, your body, your, your makeup of flesh and skin and hair is the temple of the Holy Spirit, says Paul. Do you not know that your body and God are intertwined? Do you not know that you are a new temple in which God now dwells? Do you not know that you are the space in which God's love is now interfacing with the world? This is an important question from St. Paul. And it sits in the context of 1 Corinthians 6, where he's talking about sexuality. But this is a poignant question that's sitting in a far bigger arc of the Scriptures from the Apostle 
This is a piece by piece addressing of a dualism that exists within the Greek community that he is writing to. And they are living out of that dualism and he wants to address it because it's wrong. By raising this question, Paul is trying to pull them together into a holistic reality. You know, we called the series Holy Following Christ, a holistic following of Christ. Paul is trying to draw us into that holism tonight. And what he is drawing us into is, do you not see that your being and God's presence are not distant, but that they can be together? You know, I think of what Strawn said to us just a couple of weeks ago. Same thing. Same thing. Now just imagine with me a cafe. And I wonder if Paul was around today and he headed into that cafe on a Monday morning and he ordered himself a long black and he ordered himself a pastry and he went and sat beside that woman there in that window seat. Pulls up a stool, pulls out his phone and opens the news and starts to read on the Monday morning. You know, first little thumbnail that comes up on his news app. Well, it's Monday morning, so there's a special report. And the special report is from a journalist who has been on a ride along with a St. John's ambulance paramedic crew on the Saturday night shift. The journalist notes how that after midnight, person after person that they pick up to bring to Auckland Hospital is heavily intoxicated. They're completely inebriated from the night of binge drinking. The piece then goes on to list the binge drinking statistics and that our emergency response services deal with every weekend. Numbers are far too high, the journalist says. The paramedic goes on to say that at least a couple of years ago when we were in lockdown, the paramedic could just do what she signed up for, showing up to people's homes rather than having to de-escalate drink and drug fueled skirmishes in back alleys behind bars in the CBD. And I imagine Paul sitting there and just sort of shaking his head. <sighs> Don't they know that their body, their body is so much more important than this? He closes that story, scrolls a little bit more. He finds another one. And this one, this one's on um, how tech and hookup culture are working together. It's a story on how apps are now being used to trade sexual meetings in a commodity-like way. The piece goes on to talk about how we're listing for sex in no different way than we're listing to sell stuff on, stuff on Trade Me. Our bodies and pleasure are now being viewed in a similar way to that like trading some furniture or selling a motor vehicle. We list it, we trade it, we swipe left, we swipe right, we find the place to hook up. Paul shakes his head again, sitting there at that window. Oh, do they not know that their body, their body is so much more important than to be treated like this? He closes that story and he finds one more. This one actually gives him a little bit of hope. He finds a story about a woman who has decided to publish a magazine that will not have any Photoshop, Photoshop touch-ups in it. The editor, who is concerned with the increasing epidemic of young teenage girls suffering from poor body image, has a vision. And her vision is this. She wants to share a more realistic portrait of the human body. 
rather than this touched up and altered images that are doing more harm than good. She says this in in the story, what if our digital enhancement of bodies is a way of us trying to project an ideal that actually none of us can attain? And Paul thinks to himself, maybe this woman's got a little bit of the idea. He closes the act, sips his long black, crunches down on his pastry, pops his phone in his pocket. He gets up and as he leaves the cafe, that little reoccurring mantra runs through his mind one more time. Don't they know that their bodies are the temple of God? Shaking his head, he starts to think about the day ahead and he heads out to start his day. We have a cultural problem, people, and the cultural problem is confusion. Those stories, while they'll be pretty hard to find in one sitting of reading the Herald or Stuff or Newsroom or wherever you get your news, I'm sure that we can all recognise that each of those stories are not uncommon. And we could add so many more where the thought of what do our bodies have to do with this situation uh, provides an interesting answer or an interesting perspective. You know, whether it's sports stars who are wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts on the podiums to, to advocate for the colour of their skin that they cannot change. Or whether it's gender dysphoria as people think about the opposite sex or they think or feel that they are the opposite sex but yet they are contained within the constraints of a physical body that has what it has. Or or whether it's protest slogans of my body, my choice for abortion rights or for vaccine dodging. The body is either being forgotten about in the argument or it's the trump card in the argument. From a big picture view, it seems we've made up our mind. The slogans are all over the places. The arguments are disorientating as to whether the body actually matters or whether it doesn't. We're living in a culture where we seem to be really confused at the moment as to whether the, or how to use the body in the public square conversations that we're having. You know, sometimes we're leaving it out altogether like it doesn't matter at all, almost denying that it has any place at the table of the conversation. Other times we're thrusting the body front and centre as if it's the only thing to be argued about. We are often being quite inconsistent with how we are handling our body. In a world of ideologies and philosophies, in a world of polar opposites, right and left, in a world of progressive and traditional and conservative and all sorts of things in between, what do we do with our bodies? And for those of us here who are following the way of Jesus, part of our answer to that question shouldn't just come from digging deeper into the cultural arguments and the cultural flow. It should come from looking at Christ and see what Christ has to say about it. What would we notice if we were looking at how Christ calls us to think about things? Well, add to, one, add to all of this just one more thought. You know, what, what if our bodies are just the start of the conversation? What if it doesn't stop there? What if our bodies are just the start and there's more to it than that? What happens if we start thinking about all of materiality in this kind of way? What about if we think about our responsibility to the earth and all of creation in this kind of way? You know, young activists across the world are starting to fight louder and louder as they start to grow, uh, as the growing need for our earth to be looked after is rising. What if that's the same thing that's going on here? What if this is all connected And what if God is connected into this in a redemptive work of making all things new? What if God 
who created and ordered the material world from chaos into order? What if He greatly cares for materiality? And if He does, how should we? You know, what if to God matter matters? Have we lost this? It seems we have because we seem to be so confused. We've lost the reality that matter matters. It's the confusion we find ourselves in. And so as we start thinking about the incarnational life for a few weeks, we have to realise we are talking about matter. We're talking about spirit entwining with us. And so I want to cover a couple of things today. I want to cover a bit more about worldview. I want to cover about Jewish um, holism. I want to talk about Greek dualism. And then finally, I want to talk about what this has to do with you as we start our journey towards Christmas today. Firstly, there is a worldview problem that we have at the moment. You know, as we start to look at this topic in the room today, there are a whole lot of worldviews all around the room. There's a plethora of learned perspectives on how we could talk about topics. There's a range of formational stories that mean that as we talk about the human body and the earth and God, there will be a bunch of opinions. You know, as a culture, we're generally a Western society thinking in a wide range of ideologies, a lot of isms. You know, there's modernism, postmodernism, globalism, liberalism, socialism, nationalism, veganism. And each of these is acting almost like little pseudo-religions that people are camping around. And also in our culture is the tr- there's absolute treasure of the indigenous worldview, te ao Māori. Again, seeing the world in a different way. And then you add to that, there's the um, immigrant worldviews that have arrived into our country from other lands around the world, bringing their worldviews to this land. You know, this is a melting pot as we start to think about topics with all of these worldviews at play, these thoughts and these views. And so when we talk about body and spirit, we have all kinds of answers filling the public square. So, How do we find something in common? How do we find something to answer with? How do we find something that could bind us together in unity as Christ followers? Because we are Christians. And so as Christians, we hold to a certain story. We, We hold to the word anchored life as we looked at all these months ago. The Bible. It's, it's an authority in our lives. You know, so, so why don't we just anchor to the Scriptures then? Why don't we just agree on this thing? Well, even that's not a simple task. Because even agreeing on stuff in the Scriptures, again, is to acknowledge that worldviews are playing a part. Even as we come to texts, worldviews are still at work. So our text today, this moment from Corinthians, it comes from um, a a letter to a community that had a worldview, an ancient Greek society. And along with the rest of the New Testament, there's this large chunk of that that is set in this Greek world with a Greek worldview, a Greco-Roman worldview. The New Testament is written in Greek by by some men who were thinking though, not in Greek worldview, but in Hebrew worldview. And so to the Hebrews, which is the the Jews, which is also Jesus, what kind of view did they have about their bodies? What did they think about with their humanity? What did they think about anthropo- anthropologically? 
So let's consider an important question today, a very important question. That is, what was Jesus' worldview? How was He thinking about how the world worked and how His humanity worked? What kind of human being did Jesus even think of Himself as and His friends around Him? So like everybody, Jesus, He was a product of His time and of His place. He was there in this moment. And this is a little bit of Christology for us today. This is thinking about the theology of Christ. Christ was fully human, yet He was fully God. And in His being fully human, He was a man of a place called Nazareth. He was a man who ate and slept, who worked with His hands. He, he took walks. He had to bathe. He had a routine. And part of that routine was that Jesus prayed. We talked about this over the last part of the series, the prayer-filled life. Jesus had a rhythm of prayer that was learned and participated in. And part of that prayer life was the Shema. The Shema was a, a prayer recited daily by a Hebrew. This prayer was not just a prayer, but it's also a key formational piece on how a Hebrew saw themselves as a human being. So every day they were praying the, the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. Now, now we as Westerners, here's what we often do. We pick up the Shema, we pick up the moment where Jesus uses it in His answering of the commandments, the great commandments to love. And, and we as Westerners pick this up and we think that the Shema is breaking our bodies down. We think it's putting it into three categories. We are to love our God with all of our heart, with all of our, what's the next one? Um, soul and with all of our strength. We kind of put them into three categories. But actually what the Shema was doing was that it was drawing this um, anthropological vision together to say, you are all these things. You are, all of you are these three things. It is this, it is this difference here that makes a big difference. To Jesus and His Hebrew friends, they were not divided up into these three pieces. They were tied together in a holism of dyna a dynamic holism. The body wasn't over there. The soul wasn't over there. The heart wasn't over there. They were one and they were working together. This was the all. To love God with all was to love God with all of your being, dynamically at work. One was not above the other. They were all equal and they were all valued. So the, Jew, the Jewish anthropological vision was that of a dynamic holism, a holism. To the Hebrew, there's this example here of the integration that they viewed themselves with. This is not a split. This is not a divide. The body is not over there and the spirit is not over there. Everything is seen as a dynamic and beautiful whole, a dance of sorts. And this is the view that means Paul can tie together the body as being a place of the Spirit. To him, it's not one or the other. It's not another one popping in and another one popping out or over there. They are together. But his audience, his audience aren't seeing it that way. They're, it's not unified to them. So he has to set off to fix their confusion of matter mattering and to do so, he has to fix the dualistic thinking that they have. Because to Greeks, they've broken the body up into pieces. They are living in a dualistic breakdown. How? How has that happened? How have they ended up in that story? Well, today we just need to go through a little bit of history just for a moment to find some answers. Just imagine a few hundred years before Jesus. Imagine you are a Jew. 
Imagine you're in the people of God and you've got that holistic view of your body at work in this dynamic way. You're praying the Shema every day. You're setting off to love God with all of your body, all of your heart, all of your soul. So, so you're living going, what I eat matters. You're living thinking, what I do with my hair matters. You're thinking what I do sexually matters. You've been living even amongst a Persian rule for quite some time, but actually even the Persians are thinking in the same kind of way. And then an army shows up. Alexander the Great arrives on his conquest just before 300 BC. And with that, he drives out the Persians and he takes over with his army of power. And it's not just an army that is a presence, it's also an army that comes with a worldview. He brings his army in and he brings with him his Greekness. <laughs> Greek civilization spreads out across Asia and Egypt. And with that, the worldview that has been formed by the great Greek philosophers behind Alexander the Great. So he brings with him not just his army, but also a way of life. And there's one in particular that stands out that Alexander the Great brings with him. Go back in time a little bit more. The guy in the red there, that's Plato. Plato is, um, he is one of the main sources as to where we get this idea of dualism from. He's the philosopher that really is uh, anchored to this. That's why we call it Platonic thought. Plato's thought is dualistic thought. Now Plato is considered one of the most leading thinkers for Greece's history, but he was deeply influenced by Pythagoras. And nearly a hundred years earlier than uh, uh, sorry, Plato, I'm getting confused with all these Greek words here. Um, nearly 100 years earlier than Plato, Pythagoras had kind of taught this cosmic dualism that was at play, where matter and form were two equal and independent ultimate principles. And this led, 100 years later, to this view that Plato then sits in, where there's a dualism between mind and body. The mind or the soul is of supreme importance. What you think is of supreme importance and your body merely exists to be like a vehicle to serve this around. Plato had dualistic views of mankind. He reduced man's body to being just a vehicle of the soul or the mind. The mind was considered higher and the best because it enabled man to think and to identify with the gods. The body was just merely some vehicle to move around. So to put it clearly and simply, Plato's thesis was dividing up spirit and flesh. And that's what arrived with Alexander the Great. And with it became this chasm of worldviews between the Hebrews and the Greeks. This chasm of worldviews that were actually incredibly different. And so as one commentator put it like this, the Hebrew approach is always relational and holistic. The Greek approach is scientifically distant, dualistic with matter as the prison of the superior mind. This chasm, this chasm is such an important distinction to make because it's not just splitting matter for the Greeks, but it's also the view of matter in the church. 
because the New Testament church was in this Greek worldview. It sat in this Greek story. And so as a result, as the apostles come to evangelise into it and to minister into it, this is why we have this important um, bringing of their worldview. They are trying to say, no, 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 you're separating stuff. But actually, we are called to bring things together, to be one. So much of the apostles writing in the New Testaments are waging war on the split of matter and body. And that's where today's little text from um, 1 Corinthians 6 is sitting in. It's this chasm. And is this chasm still not separating us today? I think it is. I think that's still the same reason why we read the news and people don't know what to do with their bodies. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to put it. They don't know what to do with their mind. They don't know how to bring it together and integrate it. They don't know what to do with their soul. They don't know what to do with it, bring it and integrate it. And so we have some chasms to cross. But I want to land tonight by bringing us back to Jesus in John 14. I want to bring us back to this moment that we started with today. You know, in our modern view of things, I think we miss the groundbreaking and jaw-dropping moment that it was sitting in John 14 tonight. But we're starting tonight our season of Advent. And as um, Sana so beautifully said at the start of tonight, the reason we do this is because this is part of the church calendar. And as the church calendar rolls around every year, it wants to draw us into a certain way of being. And part of that way of being is to slow down and to stop, to draw aside from the cultural hustle and bustle and to pay attention, to wait, to look. Uh, Donald was actually saying to us earlier this week, you know, Advent is a form of Lent. Just like with Lent, as we await ourselves into Easter, it's the same. We draw ourselves aside, draw ourselves away. It's a fasting of sorts. And so as we end tonight, I want to draw us into this Advent moment And I want us to slow down and just look at a certain piece in John 14 as we finish up today. It's in verse 8. In verse 8, it said this. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Now we have a choice as we're about to read the next couple of verses. And here's the choice. You can read the next couple of verses thinking dualistically or you can read them thinking holistically. And so this Advent moment tonight, what I want to draw you to is to put down the dualistic lenses that have been on your eyes and pick up the holistic ones. Think about this as an integration. Think about this wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holistically. And then let's see what we notice. But Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Jesus's literal body and being, his very matter, his life lived, his interactions, his speech, his posture, it was a dynamic holism with his heavenly Father. Now, there's, there's pretty heavyweight theology that, that kind of needs to be unpacked here. Some, some pretty big stuff. But actually, I don't have time to do that tonight because it would be a whole other thing in itself. But what I want to do is I want to offer, instead of like some theological framework, I actually just want to give you an, a really important word that you will know. You will know this word when I show you in a moment. It's a word that comes up every Christmas. It's a word that we use a lot. And we don't use it a lot in the rest of the year, but we use it this time of year. And as we start to think about what Jesus has just said, and as we start to think about it as dynamic holists rather than Greek dualists, we need to think about the incarnational life. And we need to think about a title that Jesus was given in that incarnation. There's a whole lot of theology packed into this one title. But I started by saying tonight, there's a big difference between when someone just says they are something and when they actually are that thing. And I think we could probably say that Jesus was indeed Emmanuel. Emmanuel. The title given to him. The title that means God with us. God with us. God incarnate. God as Jesus in dynamic holism with the Father. Jesus who could say, oh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Jesus who could say, I am in Him and He is in me. But even greater than that, not only the Father who is in the Son and the Son who is revealing the Father, but the Son who will then send His Spirit the Spirit that who will then be in us, in our matter, so that our matter may be the same dwelling place of God, so that we may, in some mysterious way, become little Emmanuels, walking upon the earth for the glory of the Father. It's this matter, in our matter, that God is with us. And that is my advent for reflection as we begin our journey tonight. Would you stand with me? And I'd love to pray for you and bless you. And then those of you who want to go and eat with Chris and Lizzie and Dylan and Alana can do so. Or if you just want to go find another place, that's totally fine too. But allow me just to pray and bless you tonight as we finish up. And as we just take all this on board.